I spoke at, you know, tons of companies and women's conferences. And the one group of women I was unable to help were the women who left the workforce, wanted to return and found that there were no opportunities for them. And, you know, me motivating them in a job interview, you know, was not helping people who couldn't even get the job interview. And I thought, what can I do to help? And I saw that so many of these women were selling multi-level marketing products. You know, they were selling makeup and skincare and wine and essential oils to their friends. And they weren't even making martini money. So when I dug into it, 98% of people that work for multi-level marketing companies end up losing money. They don't even break even. Unfortunately, I think so much of our society is focused on showing women that the goal is the wedding or to find a, a wealthy partner. And um, I'm, I'm a big believer that you have a much happier and satisfying life if you continue to earn money throughout your journey. Welcome to the Mother Honestly podcast. This is your host, Blessing Adesio founder and CEO of Mother Honestly. On this show, we interview ambitious women that are thriving in and beyond motherhood. Expect honest and real conversations that will encourage and inspire you to take actions on your dreams. Hello, thank you so much for joining us on the Mother Honestly podcast. I am your host for today's episode, Kristen Hall. I'm the COO of Mother Honestly, and we are coming to you live from Motor City Woman Studios out of Detroit, Michigan. And I'm so, so thrilled to have Samantha Addis join me today on the podcast, who is a phenomenon in her own right. She is the founder of Park Place Payments, as well as you've heard her, and she's had five books that she's released, the most recent one, The Pie Life a guilt-free recipe for success and satisfaction, as well as being uh, the host of a nationally syndicated call-in radio show and a renowned speaker in her own right. I'm so, so thrilled to have her. Samantha, thanks so much for joining us today on the Mother Honestly podcast. How are you? So happy to be here. Thanks. Lovely. And if you would be so kind, give our listeners a little bit more about your background and kind of what led you on this journey of creating Park Place Payments and as well as your other work. Sure. Well, you know, I've always been obsessed with women's financial independence and so much of my work has been focused on women. And it was only in the last 10 years that I kind of recognized that the only way I could really help women beyond motivating them was to help them earn money. <laughs> and I recognize that it's really hard to have any power or freedom in terms of what relationships you choose and you know, the choices you make if you're not earning money of your own. And I'll, I'll just sort of take you back to my childhood. So um, I grew up with a very strong mother who was a, a feminist and always um, talking about women's rights and equality and marching. And she was a, a big activist. Um, and I grew up in New York City and in our apartment building one day, she pointed out this woman I'd known my whole life. And she said, you know, Mrs. Riles, hates her husband, but she has no money of her own, so she can never leave him, never be like Mrs. Riles. And it was a kind of a cross way to deliver the message, but I heard it loud and clear. And I think it's always stuck with me that it was never an, an option for me not to, you know, focus on my own goals and achieve my own goals. And I think it's been very healthy for me because I've always thought of a relationship as 
you know, some, something that was enhancing your life rather than the goal of life. Um, and unfortunately, I think so much of our society is focused on showing women that the goal is the wedding or to find a, a wealthy partner. And um, I'm, I'm a big believer that you have a much happier and satisfying life if you continue to earn money throughout your journey. I think that's a great perspective and the story that your mother told you, while I agree, it's a very, very poignant story. Unfortunately, I do think that's still the truth for a lot of women and that we hope to see more women become empowered and leading their own path of making sure that they have their own financial independence. Um, I remember hearing a similar story growing up that really kind of set for me the same path of I would never want to be necessarily tied to a partner or that where I can't kind of handle it on my own. So I think that it, that will resonate with a lot of our listeners. And you started Park Place Payments, which is the first women-owned um, company that's changing how people seek opportunities to reenter the workforce in the, in the whole payment processing industry, which I think is fascinating. And it's not something that a lot of women have considered. And I, I didn't either, women. honestly, Kristen, I didn't even know what it was. So, so basically I, you know, for the last, um, I do a ton of speaking and I was at a conference about 10 years ago um, that was kind of like a boondoggle conference for the top sales organizations in payment processing. At the time, I didn't even know what payment processing was, but so for your listeners who are probably in the same boat, um, it's basically any business from a hair salon to a yoga studio to a restaurant that accepts credit cards has to have this intermediary between American Express, MasterCard, Visa, and the actual business. And today the intermediary is basically 30,000 men, um, 30,000 white men. And so I went to this conference and all of the guys had flown there on private planes. And I said, where are the women? And they laughed at me and said, oh, there are no women in this industry. And at that moment, I thought, okay, one day I'm going to come back and crush these guys. <laughs> um, but I didn't Absolutely. know. Absolutely. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, okay, when I'm 60, I'll come back and do it. Like, I don't need to do this now. But then when I was on a book tour for my last book, um, The Pie Life, A Guilt-Free Recipe for Success and Satisfaction, I spoke at, you know, tons of companies and women's conferences. And the one group of women I was unable to help were the women who left the workforce wanted to return and found that there were no opportunities for them. And, you know, me motivating them in a job interview, you know, was not helping people who couldn't even get the job interview. And I thought, what can I do to help? And I saw that so many of these women were selling multi-level marketing products. You know, they were selling makeup and skincare and wine and essential oils to their friends. And they weren't even making martini money. So when I dug into it, 98% of people that work for multi-level marketing companies end up losing money. They don't even break even. And I thought, what's going on here? And something clicked for me. And I thought, okay, what if I could train those people to sell credit card processing to their local businesses, which would earn them recurring revenue and they'd be selling to business owners, not their friends. So they're not ruining their friendships in the process, but they're making real money. Um, and on top of it, you know, I thought, okay, look at their resumes. If they're an account executive at Park Place Payments, 
they're really going to get taken seriously because they were selling a financial services product. So I spent 2018 testing this by training women in six different cities to see if people with zero background in financial services could effectively sell it to their communities, to their dermatologists and their hair salon and you know their, their Pilates studio and their plumbers and contractors. And based on their success, I mean, we, we trained former teachers and flight attendants and nurses, and we even have a doctor and an Olympic gold medalist. I mean, people in every different field you could imagine. Um, and based on their success, I raised an angel round of money last June. I raised a million dollars from more than half women and people of color because I wanted to make sure that it was true to our mission. Um, and then we've just been growing really fast ever since. We now have 250 account executives at Park Place, and we'll have a thousand by the end of this year. And we're really looking to have a couple of superstars in every zip code in America. And they only sell to the people they know, the businesses that they're a patient of or a customer of, or their friend who's a, a physical therapist. Um, but everyone has at least 40 business owner contacts. They probably don't even think of them as business owners. You don't think of your dentist as a business owner, but at the end of the day, your dentist is thinking about their bottom line as well. There's so many parts of that story that I love. I think you've really identified a way to reach not only women that have kind of struggled to find a way to really earn real income as well and real kind of wealth at that, but to also help businesses and grow their bottom line and help them succeed as well. So I like that it's a very much a hand-holding partnership together how can women who are interested or men, anyone in that regard, you know, explore further becoming one of those account executives with your company? So they go to our website, which is parkplacepayments.com, and they click on join our family. And once they fill out that form, they're invited to take our online training course, which is called Park Place Academy. And it's a few hours. And then once that's completed, they'll have a launch call with a member of our team, They'll have access to our account executive center. They'll have a dedicated Park Place payments email and it's off to the races. We have weekly Zoom training calls where we'll have guest speakers from, you know, the head of sales for Zillow or Twitter um, or different products that we launch or just, you know, things about networking, time management, work-life balance, um, how to close, how to open, how to, you know, we'll do role playing. So we really think that our role is continuing education because part of what we're doing is encouraging women to regain confidence or, you know, or expand their confidence. And, um, and obviously the more confident you, confident you are, the more successful you are and the better able to manage your life you are. So, you know, we all feel better when we're learning. We all feel better when we're increasing our skills and getting more knowledge. And so that's part of what we're doing is we're educating people with zero background in payments on how to use it, how to sell it, um, and then we do all the heavy lifting on the background. Our account executives never have to crunch a number. They never have to um, put together a proposal. They never have to support the merchant. We do all of that for them. It's amazing. And I, I know you guys are coming up against Square and really kind of making a dent within the industry and really kind of coming into that strategy of being able to disrupt what's going on because a lot of people can't necessarily get in touch or there isn't that community feel that you're providing to your sales team and to those that are a part of it for those communities. So I love that you're doing that. And yeah, you mentioned I mean, something earlier. So, 
Oh, sorry. Oh, I was going to say what you, what you just said reminded me what's so strange about this industry, Kristen, is that a lot of the guys who currently sell credit card processing came from used car sales. So it actually, the way they sell is similar to used cars. So if you have Kristen's bookstore and I have Sam's toy store and we're on the same block, a guy named Rick will come in and say, I bet I could get Kristen to pay 2.8%, but I bet I could get Sam to pay 3.2%. So even though they're selling us the same exact product, they're charging us different rates. So one of the things we did is recognize that we could come into this industry and disrupt it simply by being honest. So we have one rate card. We offer the best possible rate from the beginning. We don't change our rates. We have no shady practices and we have this white glove customer service. And so that alone is enough of a differentiator for people to want to work with us. Absolutely. That's huge. And I, I think for people, if you haven't explored this, if you're your own business owner, definitely go check this out. See what possibilities exist for your company. You're supporting the mission, you're supporting women-owned businesses, and you're providing a better service to your end user, which I think is fabulous. Sam, you talked on something that really hit a, a chord for me, and I'd like to dig into it a little bit further, is that you mentioned when you went to that conference, you know, it was mostly males. And even then, I think as we dive into women in the workforce, you're very passionate about helping, you know, how wh white women specifically, pardon me, can be allies and can help grow women of color in the workforce. And that women of color are only 39% of the nation female population and 20% of the entire U.S. population, yet they're only 4.7% of executive or senior level officials and managers in S&P 500 companies. What have you found in your work and how can we encourage those? And this is definitely a very poignant topic right now with what's going on in our country. How can we be better allies? I think it's so important to decide from the beginning that you're going to make sure that your world is diverse, right? And that means everything. So for example, for us, when I went to raise money, it's a lot easier to raise money from white men. It just is. It would have been way faster. It would have been easier. Um, just, you know, in general, not enough women invest, not enough women think about investing. Um, and certainly not enough people of color are, are asked to join the party. And I think that's part of it is I went out and, and found a diverse group of investors and I'm so proud of them, but it was very intentional. It didn't just fall into my lap. And so often when I talk to people about why their board is not diverse or why their company is not diverse, they'll say nobody applied. And I just know from my own hiring, you have to go find people. You don't just, if you're just relying on your network, your existing network, you're never going to create diversity. You're just going to get more of the same. So if you look around and you ask all of your white friends for recommendations for how to fill this job, you can guarantee that you're probably only going to get white resumes. And so you need to be intentional of what, what you want your, your sales force to look like, what you want your company to look like, what you want your board to look like. And it all starts with intention. Um, you know, my uh, co-host, we're launching an iHeart um, podcast this fall about women in business. And my co-host Amy Nelson and I are both white women. Um, and we signed this contract a few months ago, but 
we recognize that it's super important now that we have a sound engineer who is a man of color. And like, it's, it's not okay to just surround ourselves by people who look like us. And so when we put together our guest list for our invitations for who's going to come on our show, we've made sure that our guest completely represents America. And I think that you have to be that intentional about everything you're doing um, and think about whether your old policies or the old job description or the old way of creating your board, um, you might need to rewrite the description. You might need to rewrite the qualifications because it most likely was part of the reason that you're only getting the same people over and over. And so, you know, disruption is uncomfortable and you're going to have to leave your comfort zone. And that is what it takes to have systemic change. But I, I love the way that you frame it, that it, we need to be intentional in how we approach it. We need to be diverse in who we surround ourselves with. And we need to be willing to point that when you talk to people about, you know, who's on their board and why does their board look the way it does, um, you know, that really I, I chuckled only because it's so sadly true when people are like, well, people didn't apply and it wasn't hand delivered. So we just went with the group of applicants that we had instead of, pausing and saying, we don't have a diverse group of candidates, we need to go back and seek out more diversity. They just yes. move forward and say, well, that's how it is. That's how it's been. Let's continue forward. So I like the way you've approached that. And I think it's a huge kudos to you and what you're doing that you made sure to have a diverse group of investors. Well, especially, as you approach you know, and, and even on our sales force, like the way we recruit guarantee is that we will have a diverse sales force. And I think that it's so important that you think about how you're recruiting. And in fact, I've been a, a keynote speaker at a couple of the MLM conferences. And most of the, the ones that I've been to have zero diversity in their sales forces. I mean, it's, it's, I'm, I'm always shocked that they're not more embarrassed by it. Like, I don't even understand how they think it's acceptable. Um, and so from the very beginning, we've always made it part of our recruiting that we are making sure that all of everything we do to recruit account executives is reaching a diverse group of people. Um, you know, the other thing that is, it really concerns me, by the way, is that this is a conversation that women are having far more than men. And I've even noticed that my husband runs a company and he is a white man. And, and I have said to him often, like, do your investors often talk to you about diversity? Do you, the people you talk to every day? And he's like, they never talk to me about diversity. And I don't ever get off the phone where we don't talk about diversity. So I am a little concerned that again, this is being only talked about in women's circles and that white men are not also talking about this and white men are not also being asked about this on their podcasts. Um, I, I'm, I'm really concerned that this burden of thinking about how to change the world is once again, only falling on women. It's huge. And I think you've really hit on, you know, unfortunately I, I, women are, again, I'm doing the majority of the work on these things, which we often see, but I would encourage for our listeners today you know, take that message to heart and go home and have a conversation with your husband or your partner or your brother or your uncle, someone in your circle and ask them the last time they spoke about diversity as it relates to who's on their board in their company, in their group. And are they having these same conversations 
I can speak for my husband. I know that's definitely not a conversation that he's having. Um, and it's something that after this, I will sit down and say, you know, this is a topic that came up today. You know, how do you feel about it? What are you doing to help impact change? And I think that's, you, that is concerning framed that way, that it's not something I think family would have thought of initially. But now, you know, once you, we always say, what do you know and when did you know it? So for <laughs> everyone listening today, what did you know and when did you know it? How can we make those changes? You've got a lot on your plate just with what you're doing uh, and your speaking engagements on your radio show with your, the books, as well as with the company, how are you balancing it all right now with what's going on? We've had a very changing dynamic workforce just in the way we've um, moved the last couple of months with the pandemic here in the U S you know, how has that impacted what you've been doing and how are you handling these different challenges that are arriving each day? Well, it's, I think it's been so hard on parents across the board, but especially uh, a disproportionate amount on women. And I'm, I'm concerned about that, but in my own house, it's, it's not a pretty scene. (laughs) Luckily I have, I have three children and they're on the older side. Um, So I have a nine-year-old, a 12-year-old and a 14-year-old. So I'm not, you know, in the, in the phase where, you know, someone wants to be on the floor playing Lego with me all day long, which would have been a a terrible problem at this point um, doing that alone. But my husband and I both run companies from home. Um, We really, it's, it's, it's not always elegant, but you know, this morning at 6.45 in the morning, I'm going over the day's schedule with him and I might have to move a softball practice because no one can take our daughter. And it's a constant um, struggle, um, especially in the pandemic when there's literally nothing to do all summer. So normally my kids go to camp, there are no camps. Um, so I've had to find like socially distant activities that maybe happen a couple days a week if I'm lucky. Um, and then the rest of the time, there's a lot of screens involved. And before the pandemic, I was the parent who was always limiting screen time and making sure that, you know, we were very intentional about our parenting. And I feel like all bets are off right now. Like, you know, we're just trying to survive this crazy time. And I feel sorry for my kids all the time because they're not getting a lot of attention. Um, I have this, you know, I've set up shop in my bedroom as my home office. My husband already had a home office in the basement that he was using a lot. So we kind of, I'm on the floor with the kids. So I think that even though we're 50, 50 parents, a lot of the emotional labor falls on my shoulders. If someone's in a bad mood or someone's sad or the kids fight, whatever that is, that, that ends up falling on my shoulders a lot. So I'm trying to figure out how to navigate that and how to maybe share that a little more with my husband. I mean, he'll get texts from me saying like urgent, come upstairs. So-and-so is upset and I have to get on a work call. Um, but what I've also done, which I highly recommend is I have, especially if you have older kids, I have a piece of paper that I have on one side of my door. And if I'm doing a podcast or if I'm speaking to a big group or I have an important meeting, I will write on there. Mommy is in, you know, speaking to 300 people, go to daddy with any problems. I love you. And so that's been very effective. In fact, my, my nine-year-old yesterday, he said, mom, can you just put that sign up anytime you're on a call? Because sometimes I wait outside your door to make sure you're not talking before I come in. And it would just be easier for me if you could have that sign up anytime you're on a call. So that's, that's kind of how I, I handle it. Well, thank you so much for a, just being very candid about the experience that you're going through even I think sometimes we see, you know, on social media that 
while we're having some of these honest conversations, a lot of times people are minimizing how hard it is to run companies, how hard it is to manage the household. You hit on a great point with, unfortunately, women still carry the bulk of the emotional labor that um, I had a podcast guest a few weeks ago that said, even though you know she was do- off doing something and dad would be right in the room, the kids would still come to her to fix. And she's like, go to your father. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think and- so much of that is our own, that's our job as moms to not, sometimes I think when we have kids, we mistake being needed as being a good mom. And I don't think yeah. that those things are, they're, they're, they're not, it's not true. So you don't want to be the mom whose kid is clinging to you at drop off. Um, and there's a way to get around that. And part of it is being proud of your work and saying, guess what mommy gets to do today, you know, and, and pre COVID when they were going to school. And then at the end of the day, I can't wait to talk about your day and my day. But instead of apologizing for our work, it's really important to be proud of our work in front of our kids. Now, obviously now that we're all home, it's just, you know, it's a totally different thing. And I think, and I don't think we have the right terminology for it because working from home before now meant working from home while your kids might have childcare and they might be in daycare or school or whatever it was. Now working from home means everyone's home, three meals a day at home, dirty dishes all the time. I mean, we, um, and, and in terms of being honest, and I think this is so important too, like I couldn't run my company and have my husband run his company and have three kids um, with zero help. We did it for three months in the beginning of COVID and the exhaustion of, you know, doing every laundry, all the laundry, all three meals at home, cooking dishes, everything, and running a company and having my husband run a company and managing our three kids was just so extreme. And even when we tried to get them involved in doing all the chores, it still was never done. And our house was never clean. And, um, and this is so awful, but we had this terrible smell in our house and we couldn't figure out what it was. And there happened to be a dead rat in our pipe. And I, I just, I really did blame us because I thought our house has never been this dirty. <laughs> our house, it's our fault that this happened. And I don't even know to this day if it was our fault. But at that moment, I just looked at my husband and I was like, we have to have a housekeeper because we're, 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 failing at all of this. And so we brought our housekeeper back and she's been coming a couple days a week and it saved us. I mean, just the sanity. And I always think to myself, if women would just earn, you know, $150 more a week, they could afford the housekeeper. And I, I think it's worth earning more rather than saving more because it'll save your sanity, your marriage (laughs) and, um, and your parenting. If you're trying to do everything, it's really hard. Absolutely. We always tell women as much as we can, you know, depending on what level you're at, where you're at financially, they'll find something you can outsource to yes. give yourself that, like, if it's a housekeeper, if it's a cleaning lady, if it's, you know, you have groceries delivered, whatever it may be, so you can get, regain some of that balance and control. Because to your point, you, you, we can't do it all. You can have it all, but you can't have it all at once. And so we have to identify ways um, that we can keep the household going and that we can keep our marriage going and ourselves going because if not, it's, it's too overwhelming. So thank you for sharing that candidly. I know that's going to resonate very powerfully with a lot of our listeners. And I always love when people, we can have these, you know, kind of heart to heart saying, yep, on paper, on social media, everything, you know, looks put together in that, but behind the scenes, there's a lot more going on and we all have the same struggles. 
We you all wrap do. Up, and uh, you know, I've, I've worked with thousands of women and I can safely say that there is not one person that isn't struggling with something. So whether exactly. someone's in a different socioeconomic situation as you or a different marital structure as you or you know or they seem to have everything whether you're in line at starbucks or whether it's you know someone at school drop off or someone on facebook i can promise you that there are problems in their life that you don't know about you only see the highlight reel and so you know we're all so much better off focusing on making our own grass greener than looking at someone else's grass and thinking it's greener i love that what a great way to really touch home with you know, focusing on where you're at and meeting yourself with where you are as opposed to meeting others. Samantha, how can people follow your work? I know after they hear this podcast, you're such a phenomenal speaker. You have so many great things that you're doing for women and for businesses. How can people keep up with what you're doing? How can they find you? Well, they can join our company at parkplacepayments.com and they can follow me on Instagram at Samantha Edis, E-T-T-U-S, or they can follow me on Twitter at Samantha Edis, um, connect with me on LinkedIn, but I would love to, to hear from your listeners. So thank you. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. It was such a treat. I always tell people I write down furious amounts of notes and I've got three pages that oh, I've written good. down just of, <laughs> of the highlights that you mentioned. And I, again, encourage everyone, go home, have those conversations tonight within your household and saying, what are we doing to help? impact diversity in not only women's circles but ask really the men in our lives what are they doing specifically and so that's the challenge this week listeners really take that one to heart samantha thank you again so so much for being a guest and i can't wait to follow as park place payments continues to grow i'm so thrilled for you guys Kristen, thank you so much for having me have a great rest of your day thank you you're such a great interviewer thanks so much thanks bye-bye Thank you for tuning into the Mother Honestly podcast. If you want more relevant content for the ambitious mom, head on over to motherhonestly.com and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Mother Honestly. Love our podcast? We want to hear from you. Please rate and review our podcast and subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. We love growing at Mother Honestly and your reviews help us grow. Stay safe, stay well, and always stay ambitious.